This episode of Locked On MLB is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code Locked On. You'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code Locked On for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. Now let's start the show. You are Locked On MLB. Your daily MLB podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Baseball fans, and welcome to Locked On MLB, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. This is the daily podcast. We talk about all of Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. Today's episode is being dropped on the 11th day of November, and may we wish all the veterans a happy Veterans Day, and thank you for your service for our country. It's 2020, and it is the beginning of a brand new day. And Ryan Finkelstein of Locked On Mets has some thoughts about the whole thing. You can go to the free and easy to use Himalaya podcasting app. Also, listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. And you're staying at home during these, let's just call them interesting days. Be sure to listen to Locked On MLB by telling your smart device to play podcast Locked On MLB. Or check out some of the other great shows of the Locked On Podcast Network, where really is your team every day, including Locked On Fantasy Baseball with Scott Cullen and Hell. Why not Locked On Mets with Ryan Finkelstein? You can follow us on Twitter at Locked On MLB Pod. I'm your pal Sully. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Yeah, big things happening with the Mets, seismic things happening with the Mets. Another news story may have overshadowed what happened in the Mets this last weekend, but I think everyone agrees that something big and potentially positive and maybe, just maybe, franchise identity saving happened with the Mets. And who better than to bring in the host of Locked On Mets, Ryan Finkelstein, to talk about this situation. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing great. It was a great day for Mets baseball today. We finally got to see Steve Cohen talk to Mets fans and also Sandy Alderson returned, and it was a breath of fresh air. Now, for those of us who don't follow the Mets as closely as you do, and that tends to be most people, uh, tell everyone the mood of Mets fandom before the arrival of Steve Cohen. Like, was the sense of, I don't know, just like not even doom, just resignation seems to be the, the key for the Mets. Doom actually came to mind when you were mentioning. <laughs> that was the first word that was uh, in my head there. It, fair enough, was, fair <laughs> There was always a feeling that even when things are going well, what's around the corner? You never really felt like the Mets were going to have sustained success. And it always starts from the top. And when you have Jeff Wilpon, the meddling owner atop your organization, making decisions, and recently Bertie Van Wagenen as your GM, there was just no signs of stability. And you really, outside of some promising players, there was nothing you could fall back on and say, I trust the Mets are going to be competitive for the long haul. I want everyone to kind of to understand something about Met fandom and the anger and the vitriol that they had for the Wilpon family. And it could best be described for me when I was interacting with a friend of mine who's a rabid Mets fan. This is someone who grew up in Queens, stayed with them during the Bobby Bonilla years and the Vince Coleman 
chucking hand grenades at little kids' ears. Uh, so this is like, this is not a fair weather fan. This is a diehard Met fan, okay? And 2015, which I'm going to go on a limb, was a fun year to be a Met fan. He was a little angry. Not entirely angry, but part of him was a little angry that the Mets won the pennant that year because he said, now the Wilpons will think they're smart. And I kind of wish they didn't win. And I'm looking at him saying, this is your first pennant in 15 years. This is a chance to you know, possibly take the control of the city away from the Yankees or at least win a pennant when the Yankees that year were a wild card team. And they were a fun, exciting, dynamic team playing really exciting games. That series against Los Angeles was an absolute nail-biter. And he hated the Wilpon so much that part of him wished they didn't go to the World Series. That's the level of hate that Met fans had. Yeah, 100%. And I remember kind of feeling, I don't know if I was necessarily as full bore, you know, I can't believe the Wilpons are winning right now. But at the same time, I do remember them getting that trophy for winning the pennant and thinking, I don't like seeing that in their hands right now hand it over to Sandy Alderson or Terry Collins, get it out mm-hmm. of those owners' hands. The Wilpons always just, even the smallest things, they would screw up. And so you you couldn't even get away with a Mike Piazza ceremony in spring training this past year where they were renaming the address Piazza Drive. And it happens to coincide with the Carlos Beltran firing. And Jeff Wilpon refuses to answer questions about Beltran and then two hours later, he fires them. And so it just dampened that ceremony. And that's just one of those small things that happen tenfold every single year where you just had public relations disasters, you know, all year long. And then, of course, the team's not performing. You really cannot put into words how much Mets fans hated the Wilpons. And there's always a damper, even when there was something positive happening with the Mets. It was, as, like you said, there was always something that made it feel like they just don't know how to throw a party. I, to me, I, I'm, not, I'm not here to rip open wounds or anything like that, but nothing to me exemplifies the idea of the Mets snatching agony from the jaws of happiness more than the final day at Shea, to me. That, that Yankee, the Yankees, I don't know if you remember, but the Yankees in 2008 actually missed the playoffs. They had a ton of injuries. They fell behind both Boston and Tampa. And so they were not a playoff team. And they had, by the time they were playing the final game at Yankee Stadium, they were out of it. And it kind of just turned to the celebration of Yankee and all the history and blah, blah, blah. When the Mets had their final day at Shea, that happened just as they finished their second straight September collapse. I mean, the collapse of 2007 was an epic all-time collapse. 2008 wasn't that far behind, and where they had a lead and they just could not win down the stretch, and Milwaukee wound up being the wildcard team, and they lost that final game, and it was like an absolute gut punch that their season was over. That they fell again, and then like the MC goes like, "All right, everyone." Let's get ready to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. 
who who wants to say hello to Hubie Brooks? You know, they start bringing out all these vets of the past. And they, oh, and here's Mike Pia. And, like, and the, the, the mood was just this glum. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, hi. Hi, Cleon Jones. Yeah, yeah. Good to see you, Ron Swoboda. Oh, there's uh, Tim Tuffle. Hi, hi. Yeah, good, good to see you, Bobby Ojeda. I don't know if you remember that, but that was just, to me, the ultimate illustration of Met fandom. I do remember that. And they try to trot out because I think part of that was Tom Seaver threw the last pitch to Mike Piazza. And yeah. That was, so they trotted out like this was a great day in Mets history. But, yeah, if you remember everything that happened around it, it was a complete sideshow. Just the fact that they once again failed. And, yeah, those two years, 07 and 08, I think that was, you know, at the time, I'm trying to think I was probably – around 13, 14. So that's mm-hmm. when I really understood what it meant to be a Mets fan after seeing them get so close in 06 and then what happened after. It was just a devastating couple of years. I, I, to me, it always goes back to 06 in so many ways because uh, uh, the fate of that franchise in 06, that there was, that they had a chance to win a pennant to over, at least temporarily overtake the Yankees, I think they would have absolutely annihilated the Detroit Tigers in that World Series. Yeah, the Mets and, and that, you know, that if Beltran got a hit and then, you know, Delgado was on deck and Delgado would have been the series MVP. I mean, people forget what that Delgado had a fantastic postseason for the Mets that year. And, and to be fair, Beltran did too. Beltran got a ton of big hits for them in that postseason. Um, and then, you know, the Wainwright called third with Donald Trump behind home plate. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you think about, you know, being Superman spinning the world backwards and what would have been, what would have happened if they had won that seven, or if they had beaten a, uh, you know, a uh, uh, Cardinals team that won what 83, 84 wins, and the Mets were, you know, heads and shoulders more talented than them in so many ways. And if they had won the World Series that year, I mean, obviously, you would have had so many Met fans, you know, you know, Met players would have been beloved Mets for all times because when the Mets win their titles, those players become demigods for the Met fans. But I also think about Willie Randolph. I always think about Willie Randolph because he would have been the way that 10 years prior, Joe Torre became the prince of the city, coming into the Yankees, kid from Brooklyn, all the stuff, winning for the Yankees and becoming this, this New York icon. That Willie Randolph, who was a Yankee captain, if he had won the world figures he would have been a, he would have been one of those great New York baseball figures not that he isn't a beloved New York figure anyway but he would have just been one of these people like Gil Hodges you know like Yogi Berra who had success in multiple New York teams and there would have been that sort of uh, an exalted figure in the the history of New York baseball and it was really one extra base hit away from being one of those people. Yeah. Willie Randolph. I mean, when I think about recent Mets managers, one of the best they've had, I mean, 
Terry Collins gets some love because he brought them to the World Series in 2015, but he was more of a developmental type guy, and Willie Randolph took that team and just made them awesome that year. I also think you kind of mentioned how some of those players would be exalted. I mean, would Carlos Delgado be the modern-day Keith Hernandez? Mm-hmm. And, and now we don't – I mean, he's okay. He had a couple good years with the Mets, but we don't think of him in that way. But he was really awesome for that you know three- or four-year stretch there. So, yeah, that, that team definitely underperformed. And that was their real opportunity there in 06. And by the way, what, this is one of my – we'll get to the we'll get to the good stuff for in a second here. But that year, 2007 I, – I, you know, part of me wants to write a book about 2007 down the stretch because the what happened in the National League in September of 2007, I will go on record, was the weirdest month in the history of a league ever, period, end of sentence. Because on Labor Day, the teams that would have had the home field advantage in the division series, this is before they played a wild card game. So as you had the, you know, the three division winners and one wild card team was how it was set up then. And you had the two division, you had two teams that would have home field advantage in the division series would be the two best teams in the league. And on Labor Day, which is like the last sort of checkpoint before the end of the season in early September, the two teams that would have had home field advantage in the division series were the San Diego Padres and the New York Mets. And neither of those teams made the playoffs. And the team that ultimately won the pennant were the Rockies, who are like six or seven games out of first place on Labor Day and just nominally in the wildcard hunt. And, you know, the Rockies were having a complete sort of, hey, look, it, they're going to win 83, 84 games, and good for them. They had a winning season. They were you know, moderately competitive and gave their fans some excitement. And that's the team that went to the World Series. And the Diamondbacks had the best record of the National League with a negative run differential. <laughs> it was the weirdest year. And talent-wise, the Padres and the Mets were the two best teams, and they both sat out the postseason. Um, and I don't count the one-game playoff for a wild card to be postseason. But uh, I don't know, that, I'll never forget that month. Uh, because I also, at the time, I was working on a sports TV show. Uh, and so, you know, for my job, I had to be consuming as much baseball as possible. It was like, oh, oh, twist my arm. Uh, I also had to follow football closer than I ever had in my life. And for about you know, a few months, I actually followed football. But that month, which resulted in the Mets collapse to Philadelphia and the rise of the Rockies, uh, this, that's the strangest month I can ever remember for a baseball season. So I digress, but <laughs> Hey, uh, Ryan, let me just tell you something. We are going to talk a little bit about Steve Cohen. We are going to talk about the cleaning house and the potential goodness, but let me tell you something here. I think Met fans all over the world deserve a break I think they deserve to treat themselves. I think they need a boost of energy, but they should just sort of do something for themselves. And do what I recommend they do? I recommend they grab a Bilt Bar. Now, do you know about Bilt Bars? Do you know, have you had any of these, Ryan? I have. They're the best tasting protein bar ever. 
Now, they've got six great new flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. Now, I like some of their original flavors. What's your favorite flavor? I actually like that new apple almond crisp. It's pretty good. My favorite is chocolate raspberry. I love chocolate and raspberry together. I think those are two great flavors. I also love the mint brownie and the German chocolate. My, my favorite kind of cake is German chocolate cake. So you imagine when I think about that. But all the bars are 100% chocolate, covered in chocolate, and they're soft and they're easy to chew. But what else can you tell me about them, Ryan? They're healthy. They're low in calorie, low in sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber. Wait, what was the one you said? You you mentioned the apple one? Yeah, the apple almond crisp. Well, let me tell you, they got 18 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. You could work that off doing a podcast. Now, let me tell you, you can get a free cooler with purchase while supplies last. Where can people go and get this? BuiltBar.com. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. All right. Ryan Finkelstein from Lockdown Mets is here. Um, the Met fans are have taken to the streets – Bumping into Biden fans, bumping, they're waving their flags, singing "Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead." All right, we've talked a lot about the negativity of Met fandom. Let's talk about some of the optimism, because Steve Cohen has come in, and I mentioned this the other day. He became full Michael Corleone at the baptism, cleaned house with Brody Van Wagenen, Omar Minaya, uh, Alan Baird, uh, Jared Banner, Adam Guthridge. They're probably going to get a new manager pretty soon. And I think they should gobble up Rick Renteria if for no other reason than to raise a middle finger at the White Sox. But uh, he gave a press conference today where there was a, there was a lot of optimism and it didn't sound like empty optimism. Tell me your thoughts about the arrival of Cohen and what these last couple of days have felt like. Well, he basically said everything you'd want to hear as a Mets fan. Talked about, first of all, he said the reason that he bought the Mets is because as a Mets fan, he can sympathize with Mets fans, and he wants to bring joy and happiness to all the Mets fans in the land. He, he played it up. He did everything you could want as a fan. But the thing that I like about Steve Cohen, and I've mentioned this time and again on my podcast, is this is a hobby to him. This isn't a money-making venture. He's not looking to get rich off the Mets. This is a passion for him as a fan. And so he still has his day job as a hedge fund investor, and he's not going to be expecting to make great returns. So he's willing right now when the market's down to spend when no one else is because he can afford to. And he's talking about winning. He's talking about being competitive. He even threw out a three to five year window today to win a world series, which puts some pressure on him and the organization. But as a fan that has always had to worry since Madoff, if the Mets can get two free agents or whatever it is, now all of that is gone. And you can really dream of a world with Francisco Lindor on a $300 million contract if that's the way the Mets decide to go. Yeah, I think that's, and that's spot on. And I like the fact that you brought up the fact that he wants to be the sort of the Pied Piper of bringing a title in, knowing exactly what that's going to mean to his status in New York sports. 
And I, I think that by, you know, it's funny, I was reading a little bit about Ewing Kaufman. I don't know if you remember Ewing Kaufman, you're probably too young, but in the 70s and 80s, he was the super rich owner of the Kansas City Royals. And the Royals were his passion project. It wasn't his money-making venture. And that's why during that period of time, the Royals kept their team together. They were big spenders in the free agent market. You know, you think of the Royals as being a small market team who every once in a while put a big competitor on. Sorry for reminding you about the last time they won the World Series. But the fact of the matter is, growing up, Kansas City was one of the glamour franchises that you expected free agents to sign with them. And that was because Ewing Kaufman was at the helm and he just wanted to put a winner on the field. And, you know, and he also was sometimes signing players in the middle of collusion when the, uh, there was, it was a lot easier to sign a free agent then. This is going to be a massive buyer's market. And I made a point on Lockdown MLB a couple of days ago that the Mets should kind of emulate the 2013 Red Sox when they just signed a bunch of short-term veteran free agents with a chip on their shoulder wanting to prove something. And best-case scenario happened. They wound up winning the World Series in a rebuilding year, which, you know, is pretty rare. But he got a bunch of players like Napoli, like Uehara, like Shane Victorino, like Stephen Drew, like Johnny Gomes, you know, like uh, uh, you know, David Ross, you know, who were felt like you know, slighted and want to show the world, no, I still got a little something in my tank. And I think a team like that, that I do think they should make a run at Lindor, but to have a team where you can have a Lindor and a, and a Pete Alonso as kind of the the stars that you build around in the lineup, obviously you have the best pitcher in the National League to head your rotation and just populate the rest of the team with a bunch of hungry veterans with short-term goals who want to prove to the world that they got something left in the tank. And I think it'd be the exact type of team that Met fans would love without there being a huge long-term investment on it. I, you know, I think that they should just take advantage of the fact that there's going to be a lot of players available and on the relative cheap. I agree hundred percent. I think this is going to be one of the most fascinating free agent markets. And, you know, Sandy Alderson said today, it's going to develop slowly. So they had their time right now to establish their front office, identify the guys they want. But I mean, there could be 20 teams who don't spend a dime in free agency. I mean, we really don't know. So who knows what's going to be available to you. You could also even see the Mets targeting guys. Like if you, if you don't want to give JT real Muto a six year contract, well, who knows? You might be able to get them on a three year deal this year, just because of the way the market breaks out. So I do think the Mets have an opportunity right now with the extra financial flexibility that no one has to really be creative. And from what they were talking about today, it sounds like they're going to go down that road. Now, it's not going to be an easy road, lest we forget, because Atlanta is a very talented team. Uh, obviously, you know, the, the Marlins took advantage of the short season, but there's, there's some good players on that team, and they're certainly, you know, heading in the right direction. Uh, and the Nats, 
who got off to a slow start, but they didn't have the 102 games to write the shit like they did the other year, you know, the year before, you know, they're probably older and probably not as dangerous as they were before, but there's still talent on that team. It's still a good squad. And lest we forget, you know, Philadelphia still doesn't have a winning season since Ryan Howard collapsed in a heap at the end of the 2011 postseason or division series against the Cardinals. Again, it's always the Cardinals, but the, but that Phillies team, you know, Look at I. I never know what to make of the Phillies because they always feel like they should be a lot better than they really are. But you know, they're you're gonna get a full season out of Girardi, and you know, there's not a there's not a clunker in that division. There's not a there's not a team that like well they're gonna lose 100 games in a regular 162 game season. So it is gonna be a challenge for the Mets. But that being said. If you have the foundation, and I do think they're going to be the front runners for Lindor, I think it's the perfect landing spot for him, uh, and I think that he'll, I think that he'll flourish. I don't think this is going to be a Carlos Baerga situation. Uh, I think that you could have a good foundation, and just the fact that they're going in without a defeatist attitude, and you know, it does remind me a little that the two. You know, when the ownership flipped over for the Red Sox and there was a change in the mentality and then in a couple of years there were world champs and ownership, the, I think the better example is in Los Angeles here in L.A. where 10 years ago they were being run into the ground by the McCourts and then the new ownership came in nominally with Magic Johnson at the front, but we all know he's there was just as a goodwill ambassador. But it turned the fortunes of the team around and ultimately got them to multiple pennants and a World Series title, which I'm going to go out on a limb. Met fans wouldn't mind being the division winner every year, going to the World Series three out of four years and picking up a title. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you'd be happy with that situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, Noah Syndergaard has actually been vocal since the sales gone through, kind of talking down about the Wilpons. I think he said something along the lines of, I just hope that the new ownership treats us like humans or something crazy like that. So when when that sentiment is in the clubhouse in some way, I do think that just removing that and transitioning into new ownership, it's going to be a completely different scene for all these guys. I think they can really turn the page going into next season. And you know that there is still the town on the roster to build around. So if the Mets make the big trade for Lindor, if Stroman comes back on the qualifying offer, I mean, it doesn't seem like there's too many moves that have to be made for the Mets to contend next year. That's true. That is true. Uh, by the way, this, this is breaking news happening right now, but uh, uh, Don Mattingly just got named manager of the year for the Miami Marlins. Uh, I would have had um, Schilt from the uh, Cardinals was my choice, um, or um, was it Snitker? Also, was another you know, uh, but you know, fine. Mattingly, it's so funny. I, I just this has nothing to do with anything, but I just saw that Mattingly won, and this may be the only time I can tell this story, so I'll tell it to you. Um, uh, Mattingly was the manager of the Dodgers for a bunch of years, and my father who is sadly not well right now, but when he was well, we used to watch as many Giants games as possible together. 
And I remember in 2014, specifically in 2014, the Giants were about to make the playoffs as a wild card team. The Dodgers, managed by Mattingly, were about to go into the playoffs as the division winners. And my dad was actually very confident about the uh, Giants' chances. And I warned him. I said, well, look at you know, the Dodgers. They've got Kershaw. They've got Grinky. They've got this. They've got that. And my father nodded. And he said, here's the thing you need to always remember about the Dodgers. Their manager is an idiot. <laughs> and he will always find a way to lose as the manager. And lo and behold, that year, uh, Magley made a couple of boneheaded decisions to St. Louis. And the Dodgers lost. So when the Dodgers got eliminated, my dad, true to form, and our West guy to the end says, remember, their manager's an idiot. And part of me wishes my dad was well enough that I could come up to him and say, Dad, Don Mattingly won the manager of the year. Because I know what he would say. He'd say, that man's an idiot. Wow. <laughs> and he's the manager of the year. It's funny. I wonder, did uh, Renteria win too? <laughs> uh, I bet that has not come through yet. Um, I want to just tell one more thing yeah, yeah. about my pop. Uh, I don't mean to drag you in here, but I told that yeah, story. But, that but you know, I, I've talked a little bit about my dad and who's starting his his memory is starting to fade. I'm not starting to fade. I mean, he's he's you know, it's 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 not well. And when he was going through some stuff, we were asking him what year it was. He couldn't identify the year. And who is this person? He couldn't identify the person. It was just that sort of thing that it was like basic things he couldn't remember, and it was it was heartbreaking. And then I asked him, this was about a couple of years ago. And then I asked him, hey, Poppy, who's manager of the Giants? Well, I'm just going to be, he said, Bochi. So some things, <laughs> the important things, like who is the manager of the Giants? He never lost grasp of. So that's why I still think of him. I said, Dad, Don Magley's the manager of the year. The man's an idiot. <laughs> Still say the same, right? <laughs> yep. He said, "Never, for, never forget, the Dodgers are managed by an idiot." So, <laughs> whatever I, that just became like, and and he would say that anytime we'd see a Dodger game that Mattingly was managing, um, he would just sort of mutter, "The man's an idiot." And then when the Dodgers finally won the pennant, he said to me, "Mattingly's not the manager. They can go to the World Series now." <laughs> my dad had it in for Don Mattingly. <laughs> I don't know why, but there, but you know, there you go. So anyway, well, look at, um, Oh God, Speaking of managers and idiots, uh, what's going to be the deal with the Mets manager? I mean, they're, they can't possibly keep the status quo with their manager if they're cleaning everyone out. Right. Well, apparently that might actually not be the case. It sounds like today, Sandy Alderson said that, He's spoken with Luis Rojas, and he is very likely to return, but he left the door open for whoever the new GM president is going to come in and start running the baseball operations. If that guy wants a new manager, they'll obviously, uh, you know, probably move Luis Rojas to mode him to bench coach or something. So for now, it sounds like he is staying as the manager, but I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I would, I would really – there are so many good managerial candidates that are floating out there right now. 
Uh, I mean, not to be too much of my dad's son, but there are so many like of the lieutenants under Bochi, you know, whether it's Mullins, who's now part of the Mets organization, or Ron Wotus or Roberto Kelly, uh, you know, Renteria, who very well could win the manager of the year in a couple of minutes. I don't know. Um, uh, you know, Barry Larkin obviously wants to manage. Jose Okendo obviously wants to manage. There, there seems to be good ones out there that would maybe be a good fit, especially as Cohen has gone full Michael Corleone at the baptism. So, uh, you know, part of me doesn't think there's a chance that they're not going to make a decision. But I also think you're right. I think that he's going to allow the general manager to make that call. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Rojas will be, will stay on. I just don't see it. I, I, I feel that any GM is going to want their guy in that role. I would think so. And I think, you know, the reason why they cleared out the guys that they did is Alderson basically said, you know, you want that uh, ability for the front office to collaborate and you want whoever they're going to hire to be atop that to pick their own staff. So, right. I think, you know, Luis Rojas has been in the Mets organization for a long time. Sandy Alderson brought him in years ago to work in the minor leagues. So I think that he just wasn't ready to make that call right now. And the new, whoever the new guy is, he very well could say, you know, I want an established manager to come in here and take over this roster. So I think it is pretty open right now. It looks like cash won manager of the year uh, for the Rays. And that's a, that's a solid pick uh, obviously made before he pulled Blake Snell out of game six of the world (laughs) series. It's odd. My the my choice for manager of the year in the AL was Melvin. I thought Bob Melvin because they had such a great record and they did so without a real MVP candidate, without a real Cy Young candidate, and a and a ton of injuries, and they still won the division easily. I thought that's that's you know that was on Melvin, but you know, uh, I guess uh, I'm wrong. Well, Rick Renteria is still out there, and Ryan Finkelstein is still out there. So where can people hear your great podcast? You can find Locked On Mets wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Finkelstein Ryan. I think it's a great follow, especially if you're a Mets fan. It's a lot of fun there. Well, talking Mets, talking positivity with the Mets. You can follow us on the free and easy to use Himalaya podcasting app and all the places you get it. Hey, Ryan Finkelstein, thanks for being part of Locked On MLB for today, which is what the heck is the today's date? It is the 11th day of November. 2020 this year keeps getting interesting i'm yours paul francis sullivan ryan what can people call me sully